Good morning. morning. I always hate that first bit where you hear your voice. Just let me get set up here. So, yes, my name's Joel, and my wife Alina will be speaking in a moment. Uh, But we really believe we've got uh, a word from God. And I might actually just pray before we get into it. Lord Jesus, uh, I just pray that you anoint the words that I've got to speak, that Alina has to speak, God, that through us you will speak your truth, God, that people will get revelation, people would get something of you from what we speak. God, speak through us, and I pray that it blesses people here. In Jesus' name. So, this morning, or today, I want to talk about weakness or weaknesses. And it's interesting because they're not, it's not necessarily a word that we like. We don't like weaknesses. I don't like weakness. We don't like feeling weak. But what I want to talk about is when we submit to God, weaknesses are an opportunity to grow and that they're an opportunity to show others who God is because through our weakness, God can really display who he is because it's not our strength. So thinking, I've been thinking a lot about those, I guess, those paradoxes or almost, they almost seem like contradictions. Uh, they've been referred to as the God reversals, where God flips things, you know, so weak is strong, poor is rich. Jesus, when he first preaches, talks about blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, the persecuted. Kind of doesn't make sense in our minds, does it? It's like, it's a bit backward. And it's interesting even more so in today's world because our culture is obsessed with image, having it all together. Our culture doesn't like weakness. It loves power, it loves strength, it loves being important, being a somebody, being on show, being noticed, having our moment. You know, all these reality shows, everyone has to have their moment. And it's interesting because our culture gives or value or prominence to these type of people. It looks up to these kind of attributes. The interesting thing about God is he doesn't seem to value what the world values, which kind of sometimes feels a bit annoying, doesn't it? (laughs) But God, in fact, seems to want to use people that are weak. In Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians Corinthians 1, 26 to 29, it says, For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Interesting, isn't it? So I want to talk about weaknesses, specifically our own weaknesses, but from the point of view that God wants to work through them. We'll have them, we'll have weaknesses. No one's unique, you know, this is something we've all got. But we shouldn't fear them. Instead, allow God to work through them. So when I say weakness, what am I talking about? Um... I'm not talking about sin here. I'm not talking about deliberate sin that we go out of our way to disobey God or those sort of that that's a form of weakness and it's an area of struggle for sure. 
But what I'm talking about are those, the everyday stuff, those life struggles. And particularly when God's called us to do something and we feel inadequate. But it's, it is those feelings of inadequacy. It's doubt. It's trust issues. It's fear. It's feeling overwhelmed. It's areas where we don't feel capable. It's even areas of things like depression. I've struggled with depression. These things make us, or we allow them to make us. We draw from God and his calling. In a sense, our weaknesses can be a strength. Sounds weird, doesn't it? And that God can be fully on display in our lives. Because despite our weaknesses, God wants to use us, work through our lives, work with us to ultimately reach others. When we feel weak, we shrink back, we cover up, we run, we hide. We feel limited, we feel inadequate. But God has called us to a life of purpose far beyond what we think or are capable of living. And he has promised us adequate strength to fulfill our destiny. That's a little quote from Eugene Peterson who uh, wrote the Message Bible or the translation. So I wanted to talk about this and I'm doing a fair bit of setup here. Um, one, so we don't feel alone in our struggles. We don't feel like we're the only one. I've definitely felt that as a, as a Christian. Some of my loneliest moments of life has been when, when I've been a Christian. When I've gone like, God, am I the only one that doesn't get this? Everyone else seems to get it. I don't get it. But I want to speak about this so we, don't, we all know we're in this together. Two, to realise this is part of our journey. It's not unusual. It's part of parcel of being a Christian is to confront our weaknesses. And three, to empower us with God's truth. So we're going to look at Moses and a conversation or an exchange that he has with God. And from that, I, I, want to, I guess I want to pose four questions within that. So they're not necessarily four points, they're four questions. It's kind of like how I, I like to work. I like to, rather than giving answers, I like to ask questions. Because it's, what it's designed to do is for you guys to go away and think about this. How does it apply to your own life? So we're going to be looking at Exodus chapters 3 and 4. I'm not going to read the, both chapters, I'm going to read parts of it. But just to give you a bit of background, so this is, I guess, early on when we see Moses, it's obviously after he's been born, um, he's lived in the Egyptian palace and all this sort of thing, but he's fled to Midian, he's murdered an Egyptian, he's kind of on the run, he's on, in hiding. Um, and it's not the Moses that we come to know, when we think of Moses, we think of this great leader. His beginning isn't that. He's, yeah, he's a bit of a failed man when we first sort of come, well, when God really is encou- encounters him. And that's the key. He has an encounter with God, the burning bush. God speaks to this burning bush, which would have been pretty freaky. There's a voice speaking to me out of a burning bush that doesn't fry up. Weird. <laughs> and God speaks to him and says, I've seen the misery of my people enslaved in Egypt. I've seen what they're going through and I've heard their cry. And he says to Moses, but I've got a plan. And Moses, you're part of that plan. And through this, we kind of see Moses isn't down with this. He's like, "Ah, nah, I'm not your guy. (laughs) I don't really, I I like the plan, I like the idea, but I just don't like my part in this. And judging from his response, Moses feels pretty weak. He doesn't feel like he's up to the task. The person we see here isn't this mighty leader 
that we all think of Moses as. We, what we actually see here is someone that is doubting themselves. They doubt God. They doubt their ability. They doubt that even God can use them. We've all been there. So I want to start in Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 9 to 12. And now the cry, this is God speaking, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So I want to look at these exchanges. Moses' first response when God says, this is my plan and I want you to do this, Moses goes, who am I? He lacks confidence. He feels inadequate. He's like, I'm a, no, I'm a nobody. Why are you picking me? I'm on the run. I'm in hiding. I don't want to go back there. We often ask that of ourselves. When God sort of calls us or asks us to do something, we're like, but I can't do this. We almost feel paralysed by our weakness or fear. The interesting thing is God says straight away, I'll be with you. It's interesting to note that this is no small thing that God's asking here. This isn't, you know, this isn't me speaking to you guys. This is Moses going back to his people, going back to Egypt, having to speak to some elders and then go speak to the Pharaoh and say, we want out of here. This isn't a small thing to do. I guess the question I want to pose here, what has God called you to do that you feel inadequate about? That you're saying, who, me? And I want to say, trust that God is with you. In Joshua, first, uh, Joshua 1, verse 9, it says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Trust that God is with you. The next verse I want to look at is Exodus 3, and it's 13 to 15, so just following on from what we've read. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. It's a pretty famous verse, isn't it? This is what you ought to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever and the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Again, Moses' response is, what if I don't know what to say? He's fearful. He's doubting his own abilities, but ultimately he's doubting God. God's saying, I'm with you. He's like, oh, I don't know. What if I don't know what to do? And we feel like that, don't we? Quite often we feel like, I don't know what to do. But God says to us, I will give the words. I will equip you. I will speak through you. So what situations do we find ourselves in that we fear, that we doubt God? We need to remember that with God we are capable. He will give us what we need. On our own? Yep, absolutely. We're pretty much a lost cause. There's certain things we can do in our own strength, but ultimately they don't have eternal value. They might be nice things, we might be good at a job, all these different things, but when it comes to what God's called us to do, 
we just we cannot do it in our own strength. But with God, we are capable. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him or through Christ who gives me strength. Just to give you a bit of a personal story, when I first, when Gary first asked me and Elena to, to preach, to speak, my initial response was, no, nah, not me. This isn't my deal. I don't do this. I can speak in front of people. I've part of my job. I present to clients. I do all this sort of thing. But it's more conversational. It's more, I'm not a guy that stands up and everyone stares at me and I tell them stuff. That's not me. I know, right? It's funny, isn't it? God has a sense of humour. He doesn't mind mind making us squirm. (laughs) Um, So... And Alina and I had this conversation. We were sitting at the back of our place having a coffee and I was just like, ah, I was getting really worked up, really annoyed. Like, not necessarily at Gary or anything, but just a situation of like, oh, this, no, no, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't have anything to say. I don't want to say anything. <laughs> and it was through that that really God took me to this and I started to read about Moses and I'm like, well... I don't have to go speak to a bunch of scary Egyptians or, you know. <laughs> nothing wrong with Egyptians in the context of the story. <laughs> um, I'm speaking to people that I know. I'm speaking to, in, a, in a good atmosphere, in a, in a place of love. And, but I can relate to this in some small way because I felt like, oh, I, don't, I don't have this. I can sp- I'm a one-to-one guy. I like small, you know, small groups, conversation, relatable. This, nah. But I really believe that God was saying something through, through me about this, that quite often we have to, if we're going to speak from God's word, quite often we have to walk through it first, which is kind of annoying. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. <laughs> so God has said to Moses, gather, this is further on in the scripture, God has says to, he says to Moses, gather the Israelite elders, and tell them what I've said. Tell them of your revelation. Tell them of the burning bush. Tell them that I want to set my people free from slavery. And once you've told the elders, take them, go with them to the king of Egypt and tell him. Again, no small task. So let's pick it up in Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Moses, so God said all this, go to the elders, tell them, then go to the Pharaoh and tell him. And Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me or what I have to say? And they say to me, the Lord didn't appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? Interesting response. A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran away from it. As you would. (laughs) The Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is that so they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And God gives him a few other demonstrations. He says, put your hand in your pocket. It turns to leprosy, put it back in and it's healed. And then he talks about, he basically says, look, the Egyptians aren't going to listen to you. 
but I'm going to do this, I'm going to turn rivers to blood and all this sort of thing. So he sort of, he says to Moses, it's okay, I'm going to, you just have to talk, you have to tell him, I'll do the signs, I'll do all the, do all the work essentially. But what Moses is saying when God said, go to, the, go to the elders and go to the Pharaoh, he's saying, but what if no one believes me? What if I'm challenged? What if they say, you didn't hear from God, you don't know what you're talking about? You're Moses, you murdered someone, you ran away, you can't hear from God. He's feeling overwhelmed, outnumbered, ill-equipped, and he's unwilling. And we've all been there, haven't we? We've felt overwhelmed, we've felt outnumbered, we have to go speak to people, we have to do something, we're like, it's me against the world here. And that applies to everyday situations as well. We feel overwhelmed, you know, whether it's family situations, whether it's work, we feel like it's, you know, we're outnumbered. The the response is really interesting because God says... What is in your hand? I kind of took this as, what do you already have? God doesn't need much to demonstrate who he is. He just wants us to offer up what we have to be willing. And it's interesting because we might actually have more to offer than we first thought. God uses what Moses has in his hand to demonstrate his power. So the question I want to ask there is, what do you already have that God can use? We quite often feel like, well, you know, I don't have anything. At the very least, we have testimony. We have an experience of God. It's interesting because quite often our struggle is our greatest testimony. And it's our greatest testimony to people outside the church because it's real, because they see us as relatable, not just perfect Christians that's got all together that know how to say the right things and everything's la-di-da. It's just not reality. So what is our story to share? We like to share the successes, the things we've done in our own strength, the, you know, the self-made man stories, the triumphs. But what is our story of weakness that displays the redemptive nature of God? And how does that speak to those around us? How does that speak to our community? Where they actually get to see These people are just like me, and yet there's something bigger going on there. Maybe God's real. Maybe that was God that did that. This is one of the the major things I really want to say, is don't disable yourself out of lack, out of what you think you don't have. Don't make yourself unavailable to God because you feel weak. I just want to make the point that I recognise that there's seasons where we need to rest. Sometimes we need to step back. But what I'm talking about here is where God's called us, where we know God said something to us and we're like, but I've got nothing. And we deactivate ourselves. Don't deactivate yourself because of what little you have. First Chronicles 16.11 says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. So God has said, go to the elders, tell them what I've said, and then go to the Egyptians, and if they don't believe, if they don't believe you, show these signs. Uh, down in chapter 4, verses 10 to 17, Moses continually just going, nah, no, 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 don't, no, no, not, not with this. In chapter, uh, verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, oh Lord, why have you, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, I'm slow of speech and tongue. I'm not good at talking. 
Why do you want me to go talk to these people? The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or who makes him blind? It is, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and, and will teach you what to say. Even despite that, Moses says, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Pick someone else to preach. <laughs> then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, like, so God's now getting a little bit ticked. He's like, I keep telling you I'm with you. I'll work through you. Here's, I will give you signs to show people. And Moses keeps going, nah. So the Lord's getting a bit annoyed. He said, but he works with, this is really interesting because he works with Moses and Moses' weakness. So God says, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I'll help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. So Moses is saying, pick someone else. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. But God is really gracious and he says, I'll send someone to help you. You're not going to be alone in this. So I just want to ask, who has God put around you that can help you on the journey, that can help you through your weakness? If you're not quite sure or you don't think you have anyone, just look around. Here now, our church. This is why it's so vital to be part of a church community because we can help each other. We can help each other do what God's called us to do. It's why things like connect groups are so important because we might not have the opportunity to speak to each other here in necessarily an intimate way, but we can connect on a deeper level with people. We can sort of share where we're at, share our weaknesses and just... It's so important to understand that we're not alone. And the thing that we tend to find is that once you start to share, someone else is like, yeah, I deal with the same thing. We see power in weakness when our weakness drives us to God. David in the Psalms is a really good example of this because he's quite often so brutally honest. He's like, God, I feel this, I'm depressed, I'm on the run, I'm in hiding, I'm living in caves. But he always brings that weakness to God, he always turns it. In Psalm 61 verses 1 to 4, it says, God, hear my cry, pay attention to my prayer. I call to you from the ends of the earth. When my heart is without strength, lead me to a rock that is high above me. For you have been a refuge for me a strong tower in the face of the enemy. I will live in your tent forever and take refuge under the shelter of your wings. The Apostle Paul, he talks about his weakness, his thorn in the flesh as well, which is another really good example, but it's that weakness that drives him to God in a greater way. In 2 Corinthians, God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul's response is, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. The the really great thing is Jesus understands our weakness. In Hebrews 4.15 it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, 
yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So through this exchange with God and Moses, we see that God really wants to use us despite our weaknesses or apparent shortcomings. And God wants to use us in just the small things and he wants to use us in the big things. Going to the Egyptians was a big thing. But then there were small things as well. The focus should be on what God is able to do, not what we can or can't do. It's interesting because Moses continually focuses on his weakness, just like we do, on on his lack. And God continues to say, trust me, I'm with you, I will equip you, I will help you. And God is saying that to us. So this morning, if you're feeling weak, if you're struggling, if you're battling, know that God is near. Allow him into your weakness. It's a big thing to do, isn't it? It's a pretty intimate thing to do because we like to guard that. We were like, no, that's not that area. But make a declaration as it says in Joel 3.10, let the weak say I am strong. And know that despite your weakness, he can work in and through you. It doesn't disqualify you. The cool thing is, is that when we allow God into our weakness and to work through our lives, it just doesn't help us. It just doesn't grow us. It actually helps others. The result is, in the end, is always others. The reason why God wants to use Moses, because he has a big plan for the Israelites, for the nation of Israel. God sees the bigger picture. I just want to finish this off by just reading a scripture from Isaiah, which I think is really encouraging. It's Isaiah 40, and it's verses 28 to 31. It says, Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. This is all about having our confidence and our trust in God. The creator of the ends of the earth, he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is all about power and weakness. It's all about understanding when we bring our weakness to God and we rely on his strength, great things can happen. So that's me. Done. (laughs) And uh, I'll do. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Joel. That was awesome. It just come to mind that, that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. That's what comes to me. Can we just um, welcome Alina as she comes up and share with us what God's put on her heart this morning? Good morning. Wasn't that a great message? Fantastic. Well, Joel has... Oh, that's loud. <laughs> Joel has been speaking about power through weakness. I want to speak to you this morning about the power of praise. Power of praise. If you know a little bit about me, this is something I'm really passionate about. Something very close to my heart. I'm likely to get a bit emotional today, so just bear with me. But I I have personally experienced the power of praise in my life. If it wasn't for what God has done in and through me, through 
me choosing to praise God in all circumstances, I wouldn't be standing here today. And you know what? Through the power of praise, God has done miracles in my life. He's transformed me. He's changed me. He's healed me. He's delivered me. He's brought me peace despite what's going on. He's brought me joy. He has done amazing things. And I, I want to speak to you about the power of praise. And I'm, I'm hoping, as I do today, that you get a fresh understanding of what praise actually is and what God can do in and through you as you choose to press through and praise him. So that's what my message is about today. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because you may be looking at me thinking, oh, well, praise is your passion, Alina. It's not necessarily mine. But, you know, we're all called to praise him, all of us. It says in Psalm 150, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. In Revelation... When we read Revelation, we see the angels, the multitudes, the elders, various creatures all standing around the throne room praising God. Do you have breath this morning? You're called to praise him. I'm here to tell you, you're called to praise him. It's part of your calling. So what is praise? I want to look at it from a biblical perspective. And, I'll, and you know, in, in the Bible, there are seven different words in Hebrew to describe what praise is. English is a fairly limited language, right? <laughs> we have limited words and we use the word praise. But in the Bible, there's seven words in the Hebrew that describe praise. And I actually want to go through them today. Because as we look at each of these words and what that means to praise, we get a full appreciation and a full understanding of the full expression of what praise is. Right? So the first Hebrew word we're going to look at, it's yada. Yada. Yada, yada, yada. (laughs) And yada simply means to lift our hands. Lift our hands. It's not something we Pentecostal invented, right? It's in the Bible. It's in the Word. Yada, to lift our hands. The next one is todah. And this word is an actual extension of the word yada. And it means to lift our hands. And as we do, we make a declaration and a confession of the truth of who God is. We declare the truth of who God is. God is who he is. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is high and lifted up. He has defeated death. He is above all else. He is enthroned in majesty, declaring the truth of who God is. The next one, Shabbat, Shabbat, beg your pardon. This one. Shout out loud. Shout out loud with joyful adoration of what God has done. To shout of his triumph and to shout of his victory. Amen. His triumph, his victory. Barak, the next one. To kneel. 
even means to prostrate. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I probably won't be able to get back off, off the floor. But it means to kneel in submission. God, you are Lord of my life. I am not Lord of my life. You are Lord of my life. I submit myself to you. I submit myself to your will. I surrender, God. I surrender to you. That's what it means. Zama. This one is to sing songs of praise with instruments. This is all about the singing that we do on a Sunday morning when we come together and we sing and we make music and we sing a new song to God. Zama. The next one is halal. This is where we get the word hallelujah from. Halal. And you know what it means? This one means to be extravagant, excited, over the top, filled with joy, filled with passion, filled with clamorous foolishness. Being clamorously foolish before God. That's what halal means. Think of David, right, who danced before the Lord. His wife sitting back looking at him going, David, you're making a bit of a fool of yourself here. You're looking like an idiot. I'm pretty embarrassed right now. But David didn't care. He didn't care. He was expressing halal towards God. He was joyful. He was dancing. It can be expressed in so many ways, right? We could clap. We could dance. We could sing. We could leap. We could shout praise of victory. But it's about that over-the-top, abundant praise to him. Yeah? Do you remember when you first fell in love? Do you remember? Did you ever find yourself doing anything clamorously foolish? Because you were in love and you wanted the world to know and you didn't care. (laughs) And you gave flowers and presents and went over the top. You may have done something clamorously foolish. That's what it is when we come and we praise God with that word, halal. And then the last one here is tehillah. Tehillah, (laughs) which is derived from the word halal which means to sing with that extravagant praise, to sing with that foolishly kind of extravagant praise. So in those seven words, I just want to explore quickly what we notice about these words that describe praise, right? What do we notice? Number one, praise involves action. It's active, It's singing, shouting, speaking, bowing, kneeling, dancing, leaping, clapping and raising our hands. That's what it is. It involves action. It, if you have a look at Psalm 17 verse 1, it says, Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. Yes, amen. Psalm 150 talks about praising him with the trumpet, praising him with the lute, the harp, the tambourine, dance, strings, pipe and clashing cymbals. Praise, I'm I'm here to tell you, it's noisy, it's loud, it's extravagant, it's vocal, it's active. Praise is active. Number two, praise involves the intellect. When we praise, it's not just some random movements and words that we say. Praise involves your intellect. It's about having a clear knowledge of who God is, a clear knowledge of what he has done 
and what he is yet to do. It's about knowing this. How do you find out who he is, what he's done, what he's yet to do? It's here. If you're not sure where to start, go to the Psalms. Psalm 145 is filled with the declarations of God's greatness, who he is and what he's done. You're not sure where to start? Open it up. Start speaking it out loud. Start saying it over your life. Start declaring it. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I've been a Christian for a very, very long time. I've been in church all my life. And I have to confess, there's times in my Christian walk where, you know, I'm rocking up to church. I'm here. I'm saying hallelujah, praise God, amen. I'm saying all those things. But the words over time have lost their meaning somehow. They've lost their kind of that sense of who God is. How do we get that back? We go back to the word. We start declaring it. We start to understand. We don't just utter words for the sake of uttering words. We start to understand what we're saying. We start to declare the truth of who God is. Amen? Amen. Number three, what else do we notice about these words for praise? The third thing is that praise is it's from the heart. Psalm 9 verse 1, I will praise you, Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of the marvellous things you have done. When you have a revelation of God through his word, you cannot help but praise him with your whole heart. You can't help it. It just rises up from within you. And in fact, I think praise is really, it's about you, the whole you, body, soul and spirit. When we come before him, that we bring him that sacrifice of praise. He longs for us to know the power of the presence in our lives. He longs that for us. So what happens when we praise? We have, a, have an understanding of what praise is. But what happens when we praise? There's a lot that happens when we praise, but I just want to focus on a few key things. The first one is that when we praise, he reveals his presence. He reveals his presence. You want to encounter with God? Praise him. You want to know God's presence in your life? Start praising him. Start thanking him for who he is, what he's done, and what he's yet to do. Start praising him. You know, in Psalm 100, in verse 4, the psalmist actually outlines the attitude in which we need to approach God and the way we should enter his presence. So the verse actually says... Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Now I looked at those two words, thanksgiving and praise. You know, they're both, both of those words are words from the Hebrew in praise. So that word thanksgiving, enter his courts with thanksgiving is the word todah, which means it is declaring the truth of who God is, 
from here. So what it's saying here is we are to enter his gates by declaring that you are king of kings, you are lord of lords, you are high and lifted up, you are worthy of our praise this morning, God, because there is no one else but you. That's how we are to enter his gates. And his courts with praise, that word praise is the word to healer. That passionate, extravagant, over-the-top singing. A bit like the word halal, but with singing in it. So when we come and we enter his courts, we are to sing with all of our might and actually abandon our pride, (laughs) abandon what we think other people might be thinking about us and give that foolish, clamorous affection to him. And, you know, what I'm talking about here is not some formula to manufacture God's presence. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is is the approach that we need to come to God to, the mindset, the attitude, the heart that we need to have when we come to him and we come to his presence. So what happens when we praise? He reveals his presence. Number two, he builds our faith. Hebrews 11.1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You're still believing for a miracle? Start thanking God. Start praising God in the middle of your situation. It's going to lift your faith. It's going to lift your faith. In fact, when we start praising God and we start declaring the truth of who he is and we start singing his praises and declaring his praises, it lifts our eyes off our circumstances, our weakness, our limitations, what we can't do, what's going wrong for us, and it lifts us to visualize God. It lifts us, it lifts our vision to him, his greatness, his might, his power, and it actually builds your faith. Amen? Come on. When we look at um, Shadrach, Meshach, and round the bend I go, no, Abednego, (laughs) they were in a situation, right? They were going to be thrown in the fire. I mean, talk about a situation there. King Nebuchadnezzar has said to them, unless you stop praising your God and you actually start worshipping my gods and golden idol, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And you know what? They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, they said, our God, our God is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we won't serve your gods. Talk about faith. (laughs) The evidence before them, King Nebuchadnezzar was so angry, he had stoked those fires seven times hotter. They're standing there in the middle of this going, you know what, God, I think I'm gone. I think that's it for me. But you know what? I still choose to praise you. In the middle of this, I I still choose to praise you. I still choose to declare your word. And the great thing is that God did deliver them. But you know what? Their heart was, God, even if you don't, we're still going to praise you. What fire are you facing today? Have you settled in your heart? 
that you're going to praise God regardless. And even if you're not feeling that level of faith right now, know that as you praise him through that, he will lift your faith because you're lifting your attention off your circumstances and onto the king of glory. Amen. He builds our faith. Number three, he lifts us from despair. God's answer for feelings of hopelessness, depression and despair is praise. Isaiah 61.3, he will give a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Psalm 30.11-12, you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Our spirits are renewed and refreshed when we enter his presence through praise. Amen. He reveals his presence. He builds our faith. He lifts us from despair. And lastly, he prays. Praise testifies to the greatness of God. It's easy to praise God when things are going well, but, you know, when things start going wrong for non-believers, one of the first things they can sometimes do is curse God, use his name in vain. There is power when we as believers and things start going wrong, when we actually start praising him out loud, vocally, and others can hear it. There's power in that. You know, in Acts, um, Paul and Silas, you know when they're thrown in prison? They were beaten. It was so unjust. They were beaten and thrown in prison. When they were thrown in prison, they weren't just chucked in your average cell. They were thrown in the dungeon and their feet were clamped in stocks. Now, I don't know about you, but if that happened to me, I'd been beaten, bloodied and bruised and chucked in the dungeon. My natural response, wow. But you know what they chose to do? They sang hymns of praise. They started singing. They started praying and praising God in the dungeon. Wow. And you know, as they did, there was an almighty earthquake. The doors flung open. And as a result of their praise and their faithfulness in that moment... The jailer, he gets saved. The jailer's family also gets saved. Do you know your praise is a testimony to the greatness of God? It speaks volumes to other people in your life. It encourages the Christians around us, but it also is a testimony to non-believers that God is real. His power is great. It could bring someone else's breakthrough. Have you thought about that? You know, sometimes, I'll confess, when I get up on a Sunday morning, I don't always feel ready and raring to go. But I push through because I know that on the other side of that, it actually might lead to somebody else's breakthrough. Yeah? So as we close, I thought it's only fitting that we praise him. So I want to invite the musos and singers back up. And um, I, want you to, I want you to think about those things. What God, who God is, declaring the truth of who he is, declaring what he has done 
and what he's and thanking him for what he's yet to do. Why don't you stand? We're just going to start to speak it out. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you for who you are, Lord God. We thank you that you are king above all kings, that you are Lord of lords. God, that there is no one else but you, God. God, you are holy. God, you are mighty. God, you have saved us, Lord God. God, your word says that you are our healer. God, that you are our deliverer, Lord God. God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the many things that you've done for us, Lord God. We thank you that you've saved us.